promise to obey every one of the Ten Commandments. I shall not kill. I shall not commit adultery. I shall not. I, uh, I'll learn the Ten Commandments. the end of the 1978 movie the end i haven't watched the whole movie actually francis told me about it it's it's a great end to, to a movie burt reynolds plays sunny who's sinking in an ocean of ocean of troubles and an actual physical ocean and some of you may have felt a little like him this last week drowning in an ocean of, of troubles he starts to swear and by that I don't mean the F word, which we so carefully edited out of the clip. Swearing really has nothing to do with vocabulary lists. If you study your Bible, you'll find that out. The F word really isn't swearing, but Sonny's prayer is swearing. Just before this scene, uh, he prays, save me, and I swear I'll be a better man. And that's what he does. He doesn't become a better man. He swears that he will be a better man. He takes an oath that he will be a better man and becomes a worse man. He swears an oath trying to cut a deal with God. I'll give you 50% or, or, or 10%. If you come and get it, is what he says by the time he gets to the beach. He makes promises to God. Back in the 90s, promise keepers was all the rage. It was started by Coach Bill McCartney at CU. In Promise Keepers, we would go to these big stadium events uh, where all the men would listen to motivational speakers who would encourage us to make the seven promises, honor, brotherhood, virtue, commitment, change-making, unity, and obedience. It was exhilarating, and it felt like we were really getting something done. 1994, 210,000 teenagers gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. To, to take virginity pledges. And it felt like we were getting things done. In 1997, Joshua Harris, Josh Harris, became the poster boy for that movement. He published the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It sold something like 1.2 million copies and it implied that if we did our part, well, God would do his part. And he would give us long and fulfilling marriages. And our part was taking an oath and then fulfilling that oath. In biblical Greek, the word for oath is horkos. To swear is to make an, or, an, an oath. An oath. An oath, the verb is horkeo sometimes omnuo. Traditionally, an oath calls upon a, a deity as a witness to a statement. It takes the nature of a self-imposed curse if the oath is broken and possibly a blessing if the oath is fulfilled. There are assertive oaths. Assertive oaths assert what is true right now, and then there are promissory oaths which assert what will be true 
in the future. In Jesus' days, the, the, the Pharisees realized that there were complications with taking an oath in the name of, of God, for we will not take the Lord's name in vain, and, and so they'd swear to surrogates like heaven or God's throne or Jerusalem or the hair on their head. So they'd say things like, uh, if I'm lying, may my hair turn gray. It's hard to define what exactly constitutes an oath, but an oath is at least a statement to which we try to add some weight or some veracity, like when we say, I promise, I promise. When I was a Boy Scout, I took the Scout Oath. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country, etc., etc., etc. If you testify in a court of law, they ask you to take an oath, usually with your hand on the Bible. It's a practice that began in 12th century England. It meant that if you were to lie under oath, the words of the book, all your good deeds and your prayers would then become null and, and void. So you could make the word in the book null and void with your word in the court. I hereby swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. When I was ordained, I took vows, like, like an oath. At my wedding, I made promises, and I took vows. Many churches require vows and oaths before you can come to the communion table because Paul said, you know, if you take communion in an unfit manner, he warned about that, an unfit manner, and so they have people take oaths before they uh, come to the communion table to keep you from taking communion in an unfit manner, an oath. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comments on the law. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. That would be to break an assertive oath. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, that would be a promissory oath. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more, anything more than this comes from evil. Literally, the evil one. Anything more than yes or no. A promise is more than yes or no. You know, the Old Testament gave some guidelines for swearing, but Jesus says, don't swear at all. Don't take an oath at all. That clearly implies that when you put your hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, you're swearing that the Bible isn't true. <laughs> or maybe you haven't read it. I think my scout leader would say that my duty was to not curse or swear, which meant that when I took the scout oath, I swore not to swear. The oath required good citizenship, which was like, you know, the pledge of allegiance and a willingness to testify in a court of law. And that's my duty to God and country, which means I swore not to swear while I swore to swear. It's obeying Jesus and your governing authorities can be a little bit problematic at times, for the principalities and powers of this world are always trying to get us bound up in promises and oaths and threats of punishment, promises of reward. And, and they even use God's word and God's name to do it, to make the oaths binding. Several years ago, a little boy in my church named Andy Mott was riding in a car with some friends and they happened to drive by our church building and Andy, being a good little evangelist, he turned to his little friend and he said, hey, how come you guys never go to church? And the little boy looked at Andy and he said, I don't know if we should go there 
They say swear words there. And Andy said, what do you mean swear words? And the boy said, they say God and Jesus all the time there. See, that's a little confusion. When I was a kid, literally the mother of all swear words was not the F word. It was God or Jesus. Is Jesus a swear word? You know, the Jews certainly thought that Yahweh was a swear word. They literally forgot his name for fear of saying it. We still aren't totally sure if it's yeah, um, um, Yehovah or Yahweh because they didn't um, write the vowels in ancient Hebrew. And since they stopped saying the word, they forgot by the time they put the vowels in, in the text. And yet scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, anyway, the, the question is, is Jesus a, a swear word? And why would he say, don't take an oath at all, at all? Anything more than yes or no comes from the evil one. Comes from evil. Well, besides the obvious complications in secular society, this biblical prohibition against uh, oath-taking is also a bit confusing in light of the rest of the Bible. For one, there are places in the Old Testament where God seems to command people to make and take oaths. Uh, for two, for another, Matthew 26, the high priest adjures Jesus. Uh, that's this word that means he places him under, under oath. He adjures him saying, are you the Christ? And Jesus answers. He says, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. People debate whether Jesus answered him or rebuffed him, or both. Some argue that we can't make oaths, but we can take oaths, like, like they say that Jesus took that oath. And yet Jesus still says, take no oath. So number one, in the Old Testament, people make oaths. Number two, Jesus responds to the high priest as if he is like an oath. And number three, God definitely makes and takes oaths. Actually, the entire Bible is like an, an oath. Has an Old Testament and a New Testament, and a testament contains an oath, or a testament is an oath. Hebrews 6, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God promises and God swears oaths even with a guarantee. And Jesus says, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and anything more comes from evil. So does all of God's swearing come from evil? If so, maybe it's not God's evil. Maybe it's on account of our evil. So anyway, why does Jesus tell us not to swear? Seems to me that there are a few obvious reasons and then the reason. First, the obvious. When we swear an affirmative oath, when we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, aren't we confessing that we usually don't tell the truth? And, and we don't think most other people tell the truth? I mean, all the hubbub in Washington about testifying under oath just reveals that we really can't trust people in Washington. If you want to hear a lot of oaths, just hang around politicians and addicts. I, I swear I did not have a drink and I am not going to have, I will not, you, I will not have another drink. Trust me, I promise. Hang around politicians, addicts, and religious people who think they have to justify themselves. If you feel the need to take an oath, it probably means that you usually lie. And you think it's okay for you think there are places that you're not under oath. In other words, you think there are places where truth is not Lord and you like living there in nowhere and nothingness by yourself. 
You know, I've always been amazed at people who think it's a sin for me to say certain words in a sermon in church. Who then happily say those very same words after church in the parking lot. Don't they know the church is God's and the parking lot is God's and he's the Lord of them both? So Jesus says, come on, guys. Don't you know that heaven is God's? The earth is God's. Jerusalem is God's. Every hair on your head is God's. So anyway, affirmative oaths usually affirm that we lie and promissory oaths affirm that we're lying right now. Because I can't control the color of one hair on my head. And coloring your hair doesn't count, okay? It's still inside, it's the same color. I can't control the color of one hair on my head because I don't create reality. And I certainly don't know the future. So to make a promise about the future is to confess a lie right now. Think about it. Every promise is a lie because, well, we don't control the future. I promise honor, brotherhood, virtue, commitment, change-making, unity, and obedience. I'm a promise keeper. Are you? Really? Do you promise? I do promise and covenant. Now, I'm, I'm re- these are like vows in the Presbyterian book of order for for marriage. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband for as long as we live. I, I, I promise and covenant. Do you now? Do you promise faith and love as if you are the author of faith and love? You know, try as you may, you will find no wedding vows in Scripture, at least not vows that we're supposed to take or let alone make. James writes, come on now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and do such and such, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And then later, quoting his brother Jesus, James writes, above all, don't swear, don't swear which remember means taking an oath. Don't swear by heaven or earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Condemnation for what? Well, lying at least because you don't determine the future. Why would we make promises to anyone, let alone God? God made time. And God is existence himself outside of time. The future is always present to God. So why would you tell God what you're going to do? God, I'll give, I'll give 10% and I will never touch another beer again. Why are you telling him? I'll give 10% and never touch another beer again if you just get me out of this mess at him. Why are you telling him? And why, 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 why would you attempt to make a deal with him? Why? Obviously because you're insane. Or you just don't know him, at least not very well. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's got to be a lie. I mean, does anybody know the whole truth, what's good, what's bad, what's really going on anywhere, especially in my very own heart? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Nobody knows the whole truth except God. I mean, maybe we know some facts, but the truth? to some Jews that, quote, had believed in him, Jesus said this, you are of your father the devil. He's the father of lies, which implies that they're a lie. You are of your father the devil. He has nothing to do with truth, for there is no truth in him. 
And yet, the devil certainly can recite facts that we think are true. We've learned that, right? Eve, your eyes will be opened. Uh, Jesus, the scriptures do say, throw yourself down from the yada, 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 said the devil. He can be accurate with facts, yet he does not spit, speak or spit a, a, a bit of truth. No truth in him. What is truth? If you define it, how do you know that your definition is true? How do you verify that the truth is true? How do you know that the truth is true? Truth is something you must have faith in, or you don't. Truth is not just like a piece of fruit hanging on a tree that you can simply pick and use for your own purposes. The moment you pick it, it turns into facts. Body broken, blood shed. See, truth is more than facts that can be verified by you. Truth is a man hanging on a tree who picks you and who verifies you. Truth tells you before you can ever tell the truth. You can't define truth. Truth must define you. Truth must create you, save you, and define you all by revealing himself to you. You know, I think with all of our questions about the details of vows and oaths and promises, I suspect that we've been straining at gnats, but this is perhaps the place where we have swallowed a camel. Or to be more precise, the truth. Body broken, bloodshed. We've rejected the truth, crucified the truth, and swallowed the truth, but maybe the truth can still set us free. Jesus said, I am the truth. In Hebrew, the word I am is like the word Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh's word. Jesus is God's word, but more than just God's word, he's God's swear word. And listen, little children, you can say Jesus. It means God is salvation. Yehoshua, I am salvation. I swear, says God. Hebrews 6, 17. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of, unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God the truth to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, the author of Hebrews has been talking and is still talking about this promise God made to Abraham that, we, that he would bless Abraham and that through Abraham's seed, this seed, he would bless all the nations of the earth. That's Genesis 12, through this seed. Genesis 15, God confirms that promise with an oath in Abraham's day, when men made covenants, the, the, what they would do is they'd take an animal, they'd cut it like in two, and they'd lay the pieces on the ground, then they'd walk between the pieces, uh, reciting the terms of the covenant and saying something like, uh, if I break the terms of this covenant, may it be done unto me as it was done unto this animal. In Genesis 15, God, who is the truth and cannot lie, confirms his promise with an oath. Not because he is evil, but because we have not yet learned to trust the good. And he is the good. Genesis 15, God has Abraham sacrifice animals, lay pieces on the ground, and then in deep darkness and something like a, a trance or a sleep, Abraham watches fire and smoke pass between the pieces as he listens to God recite the terms of the covenant with his word. And Abraham does nothing. <laughs> See, this covenant is not dependent on Abraham. God makes the promise, God swears the oath, and God in human body is the guarantee. Body broken, blood shed. 
Hebrews 7.21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor, the angus, the surety, the security, the pledge, the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus is the promise, Jesus is the oath, and Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. That is the, Hebrews 13, eternal covenant. You see, the new covenant is older and younger than the old covenant because it is eternal. The old covenant or, or Old Testament is the covenant of law given to Moses after Abraham. And in that covenant, there are two sides. But in the eternal and always new covenant, well, God keeps both sides. Jesus chooses to suffer the penalties of that old covenant on our behalf, and then Jesus fulfills the terms of that old covenant on our behalf because Jesus has always been the surety of the eternal covenant which God has always sworn on our behalf that actually is our behalf, that actually answers within us as our behalf, our faith, our hope, our love for truth who is our Lord. So in the beginning, God says, let us make Ha'adam, man, in our own image and likeness. Let us. See, I think that's the new and eternal covenant. But at some point, the devil says to you, hey, why don't you make yourself in the image of God? And you could take some of this knowledge of good and evil to do so. You could take the law. The law is good, but how we use it is evil. The law is the old covenant, yet God uses it to reveal the new and eternal covenant. You see, it's like God says, I make you and you are good. That's the eternal covenant. I make you and you are good, but you don't believe me, which is not good. So I will allow you to try and make yourself good. That's the old covenant. I will allow you to try and make yourself good, which will reveal that you can only make yourself not good. For I am the good. That will now reveal, uh, now I, I am the good, and, and that will now reveal that I make you good with myself. Let me say it again. I will allow you to try and make yourself good, which will reveal that you can only make yourself not good, for I am the good that will now reveal to you that I make you with myself. <laughs> Body broken, bloodshed. That's the revelation of Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. I am salvation, I swear, says the Lord. Now, I, I doubt that I said all of that exactly right, because it happens somehow at the boundary of time and eternity. And so I don't know if I said all that exactly right, but this much is right. The one that's telling you not to make an oath or take an oath is literally the oath that God has made. And the oath that God is now um, using, uh, the oath that is now making you, the logos, the, the reason for all things. St. Paul wrote, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That means Jesus is like, well, the only swear word that counts. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. I think that means that Jesus is like God's favorite swear word. And Jesus is God's, well, his only word. He is his word. And I think God would like you to use it to his glory. In other words, he'd like you to agree with your own creation and then, and salvation, which is salvation, agree with your own creation and salvation and then speak the word and be used by him to create. Jesus is the word that God speaks into the void, creating all things, and Jesus is the word that maintains all things, in, including you. Jesus is literally the fabric of reality, the truth. 
When you tell a lie, you renounce the truth and create untruth, the void. When you make an oath, you tell a lie about yourself and you make a void within yourself. When you make an oath, you claim to be God and create the future, and that's a lie right now. And make space for evil. Did you know the word exorcist comes from the Greek ekorkistes? Ek is from or out of, and horkos, or horkes, like we said, is oath. I know this is hard to believe for many, so you, you don't have to, but for whatever reason, I've had some outrageous encounters with demons and even Satan, and almost always, maybe always, it seems that they get a foothold in people through oaths that they have sworn or that other people have sworn against them, and that swearing really has absolutely nothing to do with the F word and everything to do with pronouncements that that person has made, ranging from statements uttered, uttered under their own breath, like, I'll never forgive, or I'm just a piece of shit. Ranges from little statements like that to oaths made to demons and Satan in occult ceremonies by those people or by other people or, or whatever. In every instance where I've encountered them, the powers of evil have been utterly terrified of communion. And why is that? Because it's bread and juice from Safeway? No. It's because they experience the presence of the covenant that breaks all other covenants and makes everything new because it's eternal. The foundation, the rock. They hate the covenant and they're terrified of a word uttered with just a mustard seed of faith for the, that word is the promise, the oath, and even the guarantee of of God, the, the word is a name, and you know the name, Jesus. It means God saves, and it destroys the lie that I must save myself. See, it means that I can lose myself and find myself. It means that I can die, for I know that I live. It sets me free to love, and God is Love, it sets me free to speak truth and Jesus is the truth. It's my favorite swear word. For it's the word that God has sworn on my behalf. When I claim it and say it, it pierces the evil one like a knife. Because it is. It's the truth. Risen from the dead. Now riding on my tongue. I'm making war. <laughs> See, the truth is not a dead law written on stone. The truth is my living Lord who creates all things and holds all things together. Someone said the chief punishment of the liar is not so much that they are not believed. It is that they can no longer believe. Why? Because they've crucified the truth. But the truth rises from the dead. That's the gospel. I mean, maybe faith in you, faith in me, is the truth risen from the dead in us. Anyway, I've tried and I can't think of a place in Scripture where any mortal took an oath or made a promise and it turned out well. Matthew 5, chapter 5, Jesus says, take no oath. In Matthew 8, a guy says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, I don't even have a pillow. We never hear from that guy again. Matthew 14, Herod swears an oath. He ends up chopping off the head of John the Baptist when he, when he doesn't want to. Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, seventh day, Peter says, Lord, I'll make three tabernacles. And this voice booms from heaven, basically saying, shut up, Peter, and listen. 
Matthew 26, Jesus breaks bread saying, take and eat, this is my body. And he takes a cup saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. The covenant. That's one covenant. The eternal covenant containing the covenant of law, like the Ark of the Covenant contained the law on tablets of stone under the mercy seat sprinkled with blood. It's one covenant, God's promise, God's oath, the body and blood of Jesus. God is, is swearing, I make you, I save you, I love you, and nothing can separate you from me, I swear. I know you don't believe but soon you will believe. Peter takes the bread and the wine that night, but he doesn't believe, not fully. Because that night, just a few hours later, he makes a promise. He says, Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, says Peter. But before the cock crows, Peter denies him three times. The second time he denies Jesus with an oath. The third time he invokes a curse on himself and again he swears. He swears, I don't know the man, Ha-Adam. I don't know Jesus. Peter was not the promise keeper. That was someone else. I recently read a fascinating little article in the Wall Street Journal about Joshua Harris who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye and encouraged thousands of youth to take that purity pledge. 2016, he asked his readers how his book had affected them and he received hundreds of responses describing failed marriages, describing fear, people who had remained single because they were afraid to get married peoples whose, whose pledge had, had turned into some sort of weird fetish. When you make a pledge, you create for yourself a law, and you promise to fulfill that law in an effort to save yourself. And in just doing that, you condemn yourself and reject your Savior. So when I marry people, I say, you know, you, you cannot fulfill these vows of love. You can't make love. Love makes you. So let's take these vows and turn them into a prayer. Jesus, fulfill your covenant vow in me. I confess that I, I don't love love, but you are love. So love through me, your body. In July, Joshua Harris announced that he was getting a divorce. He shared that he was no longer a Christian on Instagram, at least according to his old definitions, but he wrote this, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open to practicing faith in a new way. And I'm convinced he will. To try and save yourself with promises is to crucify the promise of God. But the promise of God is buried within us and will rise from the dead. We thought faith was a law that we could fulfill, but faith is the life of our Lord who fully fills us. Peter was not the promise keeper. That was someone else. But even as Peter denied the promise and the promise keeper, his body broken and bloodshed lay in the tomb that was Peter's soul like a seed. The cock crowed. Peter wept. All of his promises died, but on the third day, the promise of God appeared to Peter. At breakfast, he asked him, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, what were you thinking? Or Peter, try harder. Or Peter, promise me that you'll never ever do anything like that again. He just, he just said, Peter, do you love me? Now. 
And then upon hearing the answer, (laughs) so feed my sheep. As far as we know, Peter never ever made another oath, but he went on to be the rock, not because he promised to be, but because Jesus, the rock, was in Peter. The rock on which Peter was built by God. So maybe you feel like you're drowning in an ocean of sorrow, anxiety, and fear. The coronavirus is killing thousands. Maybe it'll kill hundreds of thousands and, and millions. Annihilate the global economy. And so of course you want to know what to do. So listen closely. Don't make any promises. But believe the promise that has already been made. Now. And so the promise took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it and eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is uh, the covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. Do you know that to come to this table in an unfit manner, an oxyous manner, an unfit manner, is to come to this table making promises or oaths or taking oaths? Because this is the oath. Don't make any promises. Believe the promise and ingest the promise now and then if you think to yourself hey my neighbor is kind of confused and lonely I'd like to give him a call do it you're free or maybe you think to yourself hey you know my my neighbor, they, they lost their job. They don't have enough money. I'd like to, well, I'd like to give them some cash. Do it. You're free. Maybe you're lying on a hospital gurney somewhere in a hallway, gasping for air. There aren't enough ventilators to go around. And you think to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm ready to meet him. I'm, I'm ready to die. Then whisper, whisper to the nurse, give that ventilator to my neighbor. Do it. You're free. You're free to love as you have always been loved. You are the image of God. In Jesus' name, amen. is built my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but hold
sent his blood so pour me promise of the Father. You are the one that walks the covenant, cuts the covenant. You're the high priest that makes the offering. You, you are the oath. I think you are God's beautiful swear word. I save you. I love you. I redeem you. I swear. Thank you, Lord God, that when we're drowning at sea, you're like a rock that rises from the depths and you lift us up and you set us on solid ground, the ground that is yourself. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And God, I do pray. I, I pray that we'd all trust you. Amen. So the name Jesus, which I think, think is so cool, is a promise. It means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. And Yahweh means I am. So I am Savior. Uh, God saves. It's all a promise. But 
It's not a promise you can make. See, that's what's so, you see how, see how the evil one twists it around to turn it into a promise that we make, that we have to take some kind of oath in order to receive the oath from God, salvation? No, it's not a promise you can make. It's the promise that makes you. So don't make promises. Stand on the promise that's been made. In other words, everything I'm saying is believe the gospel 